The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Thank you, Laura. Hey, I res- you know, I just want to say how much I respect you and Laura, mainly Laura, for, for how you've grown your family uh, through adoption. I have two boys, and I'm worn out with two boys, eight and five. Uh, I don't know if you have kids or been around kids that young, but... Man, it's exhausting. Five, a five-year-old will ask 300 questions a day, right? Parents, if you got two, you're outnumbered. I mean, it's, I started writing down some of the questions my kids asked just like last week. And, you know, if you think you're smart, hang out with a five-year-old for about an hour because you don't know anything. My kids are like, Dad, how's a magnet work? I'm like, yeah, I don't know, you know? Uh, <laughs> It's like, how does a mirror reflect things? I'm like, pass. You know, is a Venus flytrap a plant or an animal? It's like, pl- a plantimal, you know? Uh, I'm Googling stuff. You know, they said, uh, and then my son's like, Dad, can a frog jump over a car? And I said, yes, if it's a very small car. Um, how f- many miles per hour can a person run? What, you know, what lake has the most fish? How does a fish breathe underwater? I'm like, dude, I have no idea. And then my eight-year-old, he goes, this is a serious question. He goes, Dad, Dad, Dad. Can a, how long would it take for a cat to lift a donut? I was like, you guys are smoking something in the back seat. Like, this is bad. So these are real questions. Uh, my eight-year-old became a Christian this year. I got to baptize him on Easter at our church, which was awesome. Uh, and we were pumped. So now, you know, he started asking all these spiritual questions about what happens when I die, man, as a Christian. And he's like, man, I've trusted Christ. You know, he's getting baptized Saturday, but he's like, but if I died, I would go to heaven, right? I'm like, yes, you've trusted Jesus. You know, if you died, you would go to heaven. And so we're talking about his baptism. He goes, dad, I got a question. So I'm like, oh, this is gonna be good. He goes, well, on Saturday, when we, why don't you just baptize me and hold me under and send me to heaven on Easter. I'm like, okay, now listen, as a parent, there's some questions you need to have the answer to ahead of time. And I was ready for this one. I, I'm like, okay, but first of all, dad's going to bring you up out of the water because our church kind of frowns on murder. Uh, and so I'm going to bring you up out of the water. And then I said, but man, you need to try to stay alive on the planet as long as God will let you. And he said, why? And what, well, you live in a country where you got to hear about Jesus, but there are many people in the world who still haven't heard, and God wants to leave you around to tell them. He goes, oh, good idea. Good idea, Dad. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, as I thought about my son's question, like, it's really not that different than the question I had as a young person or as a new Christian, basically, why am I here? Right? Has anybody ever, I, I think a lot of us have that question, or what's my purpose in life? Uh, that's not a new Christian question. That's not a college student question. Uh, that, that's, that's not even a Christian, uniquely Christian question. I think even my non-Christian friends ask that in a different form where they say, man, does my life really matter? What is going to be the result of my life? Why, am I, why do I exist? Why am I here? What's my, you know, the, uh, what is God's will for my life? I think that's the way Christians tend to word it. You know, what's God's will for my life? I spent probably half my Christian life just with ulcers, you know, anxious about, worrying about, am I in God's will? Am I in God's will or not? And then I got my really spiritual friends who are like, are you in the center of God's will, brother? And I'm like, there's a center, you know? And I really freaked out. And, but man, that question, let me tell you something, we've answered it the wrong way. The world, well, you know, not even the world, man, even in the church, here's how we tell you to answer that question. We say, start with you. 
what are your talents? What are you good at? What are your dreams? What are your ambitions? What do you want to do in life? What do you see, you know, five years from now? We, we say start with you. And really, that's all, I mean, that's like saying, God, why don't you ride shotgun, right? It's like, here's what I want to do. God, you can ride shotgun and give some advice. But man, I think that instead of saying start with you, the real answer should be start with God. And start by saying, you know, God, what is it that you're doing in history? A little more, probably has a better perspective, right, than us. What is it that you're doing? What are your passions? What is your agenda? And how can I ride in the back seat or at least attach my life to what you're doing? I think that's a better way to approach it because, you know, we need something outside of ourselves to navigate our life by. We don't make a good North Star. Um, you, remember, you remember how sailors, you know, sailors used to be able to, this is before the iPhone, all right, guys, uh, the sailors used to be able to navigate like the whole ocean and the world based on the stars. You know, and, and I don't know if you've ever been lost. I actually grew up before the iPhone when people used to get lost, you know, not like your Garmin took you to the wrong Starbucks lost, but like how many of you guys have been really, really lost in the woods? It's terrifying. Uh, man, when I was in high school, my friends and I used to play capture the flag out in like 400 acres of forest, and I got lost. And I remember as a young person being terrified. I was, I was praying. I was like, Lord, I don't want to die single, you know? Uh, I'm not that smart, and so I'm, I'm lost out in the woods. And I remember having a flashlight, and I thought, oh, man, you'll save me, right, flashlight? You know, but the problem is a flashlight's only as helpful as the person it's connected to. You know, and I, I have no idea where to, to go. It's not like the flashlight's going to lead me out of the woods. And so after like 30 minutes, you know, I'm in a full-on panic attack. And, and finally, I do something really uncomfortable. I turn the flashlight out because I need something outside of myself. And I wait for my eyes to adjust to the darkness and I notice there's this orange glow in the distance because there's always like one kid that throws a gasoline on the fire. That's like our, I know that's our campfire. So, you know, I'm like, I anchored my eyes to that fire. I'm like, I am getting out of the woods. Hopefully I'll get married. I'm never going camping again, even though it's like the number five white people thing to do. I still don't camp. Uh, I don't even grill out. It's too close. Uh, but I'm like, I'm getting out of the woods and I got out of the woods. I remember getting back to my campsite and my buddy, he, he said, you know, why didn't you just use the stars? I'm like, I don't know Galileo, you know, because <laughs> I'm not an Eagle Scout. I mean, can people do that? And we've lost that ability. And, 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 you know, we have lost the ability to navigate the world by the stars, but the Christians have lost their ability to navigate life by the Scripture. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to re-anchor some things. I, I want to re-anchor some of our life and what God is doing. I wish I would have heard this message as a brand new Christian. I, I wish I would have heard a message like this, and whether you've been a Christian for a long time or, or a short amount of time, let me tell you, I was a Christian for a long time, way too long before I heard this message, and I wish I would have heard it as a young Christian because I wanted to know definitively, and, and that's what we're going to do, if that's okay, for the next 20, 30 minutes, would it be okay if we spent some time answering the question definitively, God, what are you doing, and how can we be a part of that? Not start with us, but say, God, let's start with you. If you have your Bible, I want you to pull it out. We're going to look at a couple of verses. Uh, but I want to ask that question, God, what is it that you're up to and how can we attach our life to it? Because, guys, God is on a mission to reach the world. And, and I used to, you know, I knew missions was important. I knew that the Bible talked about reaching all the nations. But I had no idea that reaching all nations is something that is the backbone. It, it, it is the nervous system 
through this entire story. And it makes this not 66 separate books and stories, but you're going to see God is authoring one incredible story. And reaching the world is what drives the context of this whole story. So can I pray for us real quick, and then let's get into God's Word this morning. Got to thank you for a church like Temple Bible, where this is not necessarily maybe new um, as a value, but maybe it's new to some of us and how we lay this out. And so, God, I pray you'd speak to us this morning through your word. And God, I pray that there would be a north star that we begin to see from your scripture that burns so brightly this morning that we lose our gaze for anything else, anything lesser, and especially anything that starts with us. God, help us to start with you. And I pray that as a result, Lord, you'd raise up many of us to begin to ask the question, How are we being a part of that story? And so, God, would you speak to us in the next few moments? And we pray that in your son's name. Amen. You know, we're going to start in Genesis, but before we do, there's one verse in in Psalms, and it's in the middle of the story. And I love this verse because I think it helps capture kind of the big idea. And it's Psalm 67. And and Psalm 67 really captures, if I were going to summarize what the Bible teaches about God interacting with us and our purpose... And Psalm 67 starts off like this. It says, may God be gracious to us, bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us. Now, the reason I stop right there is I grew up in a church where we had half of the verse on a banner. You know, you remember when people used to make the banners and hang them everywhere? Well, we had this on a banner. I remember reading this like every Sunday, God bless us. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm good with that, right? Be gracious to us. You know, make your face shine upon us. The only problem is it stops with who? Us. And so I don't know if we ran out of money or silk or what. I wish we would have had the rest of the sentence. Uh, It's at least poor grammar, you know. But my Christian life was just like, man, God bless me. And I didn't see anything really beyond that until I read the rest of the verse. And this is what it says. God be gracious to us, and he has. He's blessed us, but not just for us. God bless us that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation, and I want you to get used to this phrase, among all the nations. Reaching all the nations is the backbone, it is the north star, it's the finish line of this story. So when we get, by the time we get to Psalms, you're going to see why this is the summary of scripture, and it's this, that God blesses his people so that the gospel would go to all peoples. That's the summary of the Bible, that God blesses his people All throughout history, God blesses his people, but not so that they would keep it to themselves, but it's so that his salvation would go to all peoples, all nations in the world. And God starts that story in the first book in the Bible, in Genesis. He starts it with a family. See, uh, in Genesis, you know, he he created Adam and Eve, they sin, God floods the earth, he starts over with another family, tells them to fill the earth and worship him, Uh, and eventually by Genesis 10 and 11, he scatters the world into different language groups, different nations, and as soon as God creates what we think of as the nations in Genesis 10 and 11, and the very next chapter, this story begins, and it's really interesting because God slows down and he zeroes in on a family, a community. Uh, And you talk about a surrendering, missional community. This is it. Genesis 12. And he starts with one person that's going to begin this community, this family, Abram. And he says, Abram, leave. Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go. Surrender. Go to the land that I'm going to show you. But I'm going to bless you. 
I'm going to make you to a great nation, and there it is. I'm going to bless you. But it's not just going to stop with you. This blessing that Genesis talks about, we find out later, is salvation. He's saying, I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to credit righteousness to you based on the Messiah that I'm going to send. I'm going to justify you in my sight. I'm going to have a personal relationship with you. But Abraham, it's not just for you. Look at verse 2. I'm blessing you so that you will what? Be a blessing. In other words, here's the pipeline. You know, you're, you're just going to relay this salvation on to others. It doesn't stop with you. It's heading somewhere else. It's heading to other people. And in verse 3, God tells us what he's getting ready to do in the rest of the story. He says, I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. But look at this. One day, all the nations on the earth will be blessed through you, through this family. That's the North Star. You know, if you're a college student, you're writing a thesis. This is a thesis statement. Basically, this is the thesis statement for what God is getting ready to do in the rest of his story. And he says, I'm going to bless all the nations, but I'm going to do it through a family. And so when Abraham has a son, Isaac, God repeats the promise to Isaac. He actually repeats it two more times to Abraham. We're not even going to look at it. So now it's, you know, Isaac. He says, man, Isaac, welcome to the family. We're a missionary family. We're this surrendered missional community. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, but not just for you. It's so that through your family, through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Jacob, remember your father, Isaac, and your grandfather, Abraham. Welcome to the family. Here's what our family is all about. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, but it's so that all peoples, all nations on the earth might be blessed through you and through this family. Get used to this term, all peoples, all nations. The uh, Bible uses it about 2,000 more times. That God's heart for the whole world, for all peoples, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, all the Gentiles. It's all through this story. And God is blessing the world, but he wants to do it through a missional, surrendered family, a community. And here's why we're talking about this family of Abraham this morning. Because if you're a Christian, you became adopted into the family. This family includes you. That, you know, that's why the New Testament says it's the children of faith who are the true descendants of Abraham. It says that you are heirs to Abraham according to the promise. So in other words, when we became Christians, we became adopted in this family, but the family is a missionary family. And so that means that man, every Christian is called to missions. All of us are called to the mission. You know, I used to think, man, I'm not called to missions because, you know, Jesus never floated through my bedroom window and said, you're going to Africa, sucker. I think because I thought that's probably what it looked like, you know, if God, we're going to call me to missions. But man, we're all called. And, and, and listen, when I say that, that doesn't mean that every single person in this room is going to like pack up and we're sending you to Estonia or whatever. All right, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this, that you're part of a family. And missions is the family business. You with me? Missions is the family business. And that means that for a believer, there's no sidelines. There's no bleachers where you sit back and let other people do. That God is inviting all of us to roll up our sleeves and say, how, is, how am I using what God has blessed me with to be a blessing to the world? Because that's the story that we're in. That is the context of this whole story. You know, um, my wife, we've been married 16 years. Uh, I was my wife, I was her first boyfriend ever. 
uh, in college. Uh, we dated for two years. She never kissed anybody. Uh, our first kiss was our wedding kiss, like at the altar, which is kind of weird nowadays, but like that was our first kiss. So she thinks I'm the best kisser in the world because she's never kissed anybody else, which is awesome. Uh, you know, so I got that going for us. But you know, like when I proposed to her, man, I wanted it to be special. I wanted to do something creative. So I took, I remember I had three things with me, uh, a ring, which is good, good to have a ring, uh, a pen and a journal. And in my journal, I've been writing about, you know, our stories and how I felt about her and things like that. And in the middle of my journal, I wrote, wrote this paragraph. It's kind of like first person to her because I was going to let her read it. And so I sat her down and I let her read till she gets to this paragraph. And it says, Rebecca, tonight I want your story and my story to become one new story. And the next chapter starts right now, dot, dot, dot. And so I turn the page and it's blank. And she looks at me and that's when I pulled out, instead of the ring, I pulled out a pen. And I wrote the next line in my little journal, wrote, Rebecca, will you marry me? And then I hand her the pen. Okay, and it sounds cool, but I remember my hand was like shaking like this, and I'm all sweating, you know? And, uh, but she took the pen. I mean, this is a big moment, right? Like, this stuff's about to change. And she took the pen, and she wrote, yes, of course. And it was awesome. That's how we get, you single guys, write that down, all right? You can reuse it. <laughs> Nobody will know. But man, that's how we got engaged. And man, marriage... Uh, Marriage is basically saying that one great story is better than two smaller stories. You with me? In in a marriage, what you're saying is that, men we're better together. One great story is better than for me to just live as the hero in a really small story titled me. And that was my Christian life before. That I was the hero in a really small story titled me. Because here's the deal, man. If God is authoring a story, there can't be two. You with me? If God is writing a story, there can't be two stories. One story has to live on and one story has to die. But God has been writing this story. And man, I missed it. As a Christian, I missed that this promise makes its way through all the other stories. You know, I thought I knew the Bible. I, I went to, you know, Dallas Theological Seminary. Like, I, I mean, I knew the Bible, but I missed the story. And so what I want to do is I want to show you, even through some of the major, major Bible stories, God has always been about fulfilling this promise. How many of you heard of the Ten Commandments? Okay, am I at the right church? All right, that's what I thought. Uh, I mean, major, major Bible stories. Look at what Moses says. Right after he rereads the law to the people, the Ten Commandments, he says, I've taught you these decrees and laws as God commanded me. Observe them carefully because this will show your wisdom and your understanding to the nations. In other words, the law isn't about keeping you from getting a disease. The law wasn't just about so you'd have better finances, a better marriage, be a better parent. Ultimately, he's saying it's about making you a light to the world. God has the attention. He wants the attention of the world because he's promised to draw worshipers to himself from every nation around him. You with me? And see, and when God wants to get the attention of the world, he's like a professional at it, okay? Do you remember the parting of the stinking Red Sea? You don't think that made like some CNN headlines or something uh, right about then? I mean, God is a professional at it. And, and so even through the Exodus, man, when he's doing the plagues, he's showing the world his power. He's showing the world that he is supreme over all the false gods. And look what he says to Pharaoh. See, this isn't just about him rescuing his people out of Egypt. He says, I've raised you up, Pharaoh, for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. 
See, all through these stories, there is a compass. There's a compass needle that just keeps pointing true north, true north. All nations, all nations, that's the north star. David, when he goes out to fight Goliath, look what he says. He goes, this day I'm going to strike you down. And he knows that something bigger is going on than just him and Goliath. He says, this day I'm going to strike you down, not just for Israel, but because the whole world is watching. And the whole world is going to know there's a God in Israel when I do. How many of you remember when Solomon, God gave Solomon wisdom? He prayed, you know, and asked for anything. God gave Solomon great wisdom, but not just for Solomon. It was, he was blessed, but not just for himself. It says that men from all the nations come to hear the wisdom of Solomon. I'm like, man, how did I miss this? You know, how did I miss this through all these stories? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they get out of the fire, don't stop reading. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, he tries to convert everybody, but, uh, you know, he's this pagan guy. He's like, you know, anybody that doesn't worship their God, we're going to burn their house down and tear them limb from limb. That's a great evangelism strategy uh, if you're a pagan king. Uh, King Darius, you know, when Daniel gets out of the lion's den, don't stop reading. King Darius writes a letter to men of every language that they're to worship the God of Daniel because he's the true living God. All through these stories, look at Isaiah 49.6. God has to remind us, I'm doing something bigger than just your people. And I mean, that's what he's reminding Israel. He's saying it's too small of a thing for me to just restore the tribes of Jacob. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? He's saying that's your own people. Because he knows, man, we're wired like that. We're wired where we love our own people. I mean, I... I'm wired like that. I forget about the world. I don't wake up in the morning and think about Indonesia, all right? Maybe Chase or somebody does, because you're more spiritual than me, but I, I'm be honest. Unless I see the tag on my shirt, I don't think about Indonesia, all right? So God knows, man. We're wired where we love our nation, our country. You know, you guys love Texas. You think you're a country because you're Texas. So you love Texas. You love America. And that's okay, man. Like, God is like, I love America, but America is 5% of the world, And God's just saying, man, think bigger. I'm doing something in America, but I'm doing something bigger. He says this, I'm also going to make you a light to the Gentiles, the nations, that you might bring my salvation to the finish line, the ends of the earth. That is the North Star that drives the context of this whole story. And God promises it over and over and over. Psalm Psalms 86 says, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you. You think God's going to keep that promise? uh, Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Uh, Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Malachi says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. God has promised it over and over. In fact, the entire trajectory, the entire theme of this Bible hangs on that mission. That's what drives the context of this whole story. That means if you're a believer and this mission doesn't drive the context of your life, you need to get a different holy book. You got the wrong book. Because that's what this one is all about. And let me tell you a secret. I did not like that as a Christian. Because honestly, I was comfortable. And I thought, you know, I know a lot of non-Christians. Right? 
I, I think that was me for a long time. I said, you know, why in the world would we spend a lot of money to send people to some of these countries when I, I know non-Christians right here? How many of you thought that? I mean, I'll just be honest. Like, that was how I thought about missions and missionaries. And like, why would we do this? And it's so much money and effort and the resistant to the gospel. Uh, and also, I didn't want to be the missions guy. You know, there's always like the missions guy in your church, and they're always a weirdo, right? Like, it's funny to me now that I travel and I'm the missions guy. Because when you hear there's a mission speaker, let's be honest, you always think, weirdo. Like, they're going to have like the five pocket shirts and smell funny because they don't wear deodorant, and they're all whatever. And they're my friends now. That's what I can say that. I got one buddy, he spent so much time overseas, he carries a shovel with him in case he needs to use the bathroom. I'm like, dude, we're in America, all right? If you use the bathroom and there's a shovel involved, somebody's going to go to prison. So put that away, all right? And so that's how I thought about missions people. I'm like, oh, those are those people that couldn't fit in our culture. Should we ship them to some other culture, you know? No, well, yeah, kind of, you know. And I didn't want to be the missions guy, you know? And I was like, man, that's not my thing. That's not my thing, God. It's a really funny thing to say to God. It's like, that's not my thing. He goes, oh, really, you know? See, here's the deal. With, let me tell you something about guys. Okay, we got the college students over here. When, when, when guys start dating, guys will start going places and doing things that guys never, ever, ever do. All right? And you marry guys. You know what I'm talking about because you're there. Uh, and I'm trying to tell my single friends over here that's what it's going to be like because you marry guys. You know, I don't get together with my guy friends and go to Bath and Body Works and smell the new Pearberry or whatever lotion they got. But all you guys have been there, right? Because these single guys, they don't know yet. You know, my single guy friends are like, no, man, that's not going to be me. And I tell them, man, you mark my words. Like 10 years from now, you're going to be standing in the middle of Yankee Candle trying to tell the difference between cotton fresh and linen something for the house. And you're going to realize, like, Texas is playing. And you're going to be like, what am I doing? And you, got, you fell in love. That's what happened. You got married. Right? All of us, man, we've done that. Because here's what happens, man. When you love somebody, you start to love the things that they love. You know, the things that are on their heart start to become the things that are on your heart. And, and, and I remember having a conversation with God where God was like, Claude, th- maybe this isn't your thing, but when are you going to begin to love the people that I clearly love? You know, and, and listen, this is not Temple Bible's idea. This is not my idea. This is God's idea. This is God's heart. And I remember... I remember clearly as a newer Christian saying, man, that's a big enough reason. That's a big enough reason for me to begin to make it my heart. And for me to begin to ask the question, how am I really connecting the dots between how God has blessed me and how I've blessed the world? And as I began to look at even the life of Jesus, I saw that, man, he models this. He even models this in his ministry toward the poor, toward the hurting, toward the sick. Out of all of his miracles in the New Testament, two-thirds of his major miracles are done toward internationals, not his own people. You think the disciples picked up on that when he's speaking to a Samaritan woman, when he's healing a centurion's servant? He's modeling for us. He's modeling for the disciples. I am the hope of the Gentiles. I am the hope of all the nations. Later in his ministry, the disciples ask him this question. I love this because they didn't get a whole lot of stuff right. They were kind of goofballs, you know, like they were idiots, man. But the disciples, every once in a while, would do something kind of cool. And they asked him this question accidentally. They say, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the, end of the age? 
And he starts to answer their question about the very end of the story. It's not what they were asking, but that's where his mind, for the next 14 verses, that's where his mind goes. And I love this because, you know, all of a sudden now you've got to peek into the mind of the author. You know, the one person in history who actually knows where the story is going, what's going to happen before and after the end. I mean, they, they've just asked a very good question and a very good time in history. And so I'm like, I got my highlighter out. I kind of want to know what Jesus says to this question. But look at verse 14. And it's, it shouldn't even surprise me. But look at verse 14. And he says, but this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. Because that's what God's promised to do. As a testimony to, there it is again, all the nations. God is serious about this. God is serious about his promise. And that's why guys like the Apostle Paul did what they did. They weren't super Christians. They just knew, man, this is what God's doing. Paul says, man, through Jesus and for his namesake, he's talking about us. He says, we've received grace. You're a believer. You've received the pass of the gospel, but, but this gospel's come to you because it's on its way to somebody else. He's saying, man, it's a relay. You've received grace to call people from among all the Gentiles, the nations, to the obedience that comes from faith. So how's that happening? How's that happening? And then Paul does something that I think is brilliant. Uh, Romans 15, we want to talk about life purpose and life ambition. This is what he says about his life purpose. He says, I've made it my ambition then to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. And he did that by doing something that Christians in our culture rarely do. He looked at the world. He opened the map. Now, before we look at what's next, I want to just hypothetically, if we passed out a world map, on Sunday morning, maybe not your church, but another church, if we passed out a world map right now and said, highlight the areas of the world where Christ is not known, how would you do? Because first of all, world geography is not like our strong thing in America. Uh, there was a survey done a couple of years ago. One in seven North Americans could not point to North America on a map of the world. Okay, that's a true story. <laughs> that's that's pretty bad, okay? We're probably not that bad in this room, hopefully. That's like, thank you, Miss South Carolina, bad, right? Uh, so we're probably not that bad. But if we handed out a world map, man, like on Sunday morning, if we handed out a world map and said, Romans fifteen twenty, where are the areas of the world where Christ is not known, how would you do? You know, if we said, man, how many people groups are there on the planet? Write down a number. How many people groups are unreached? Write down a number. How many missionaries are there in the world? Write down a number. How many languages are there on the planet? How many languages don't have the Bible translated in their language? Write down a number. See, nobody's laughing anymore. How much money is given to missions? What percentage of it is given to reach the unreached? See, we need to do two things. We need to open the Bible and we need to open the map. We need to do exegesis on the Bible and say, God, what is your heart? But we also need to do exegesis on our world and say, God, where are the areas today, 2015, where he is not known? Because I thought 2,000 years, I thought we were a little farther than we actually are. Can I show you a map? Tonight at 6 p.m., one of the things we're going to do is we're going to spend an hour or so talking about what's left to be done in reaching the world. Unfortunately, we're not as far as I thought we were. We're not as far as I thought we were, especially given the resources that God has given the church. 
if you filled the Cowboy Stadium to its full capacity, I think it's like 111,000 people, one of those would be a missionary. One out of every hundred, over 100,000. Out of every $100,000 that Christians earn, one dollar goes to reach people in this area of the world. In other words, last month, people spent more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than Christians give to reach the rest of the world. We've got more to do. And you go to a great church. Let, let, let me just tell you that. You already support over 30 people working in and around many of these unreached areas. But some of you have just sat back, and I think God is saying, man, there's ways for you to get and roll up your sleeves and get more involved. Uh, for some of you students, there's opportunities to talk to Chase about, man, how do I use my degree to get into that area of the world? For some of you families, there's opportunities to find out, how do I personally support some of our workers that are working there? For some of you, it's beginning to pray for the world. For some of you, it might just be coming back tonight with us and saying, God, I've opened your word, but I'll be honest, I have not opened your map in the way that I need to, to learn about the world. Would you come back? We're going to have fun, all right? But we're going to open the map and say, God, we can't just drop one pen where we're going. We also have to drop the pen that says, here's where we are, so that we can live strategically in light of this story. But here's the best part of the story. God's going to keep his promise. Can I give you one more verse? In Revelation, John records this scene of the future, this picture of heaven. And this gives me incredible hope, guys. He says there are people there in heaven, a great multitude, worshiping from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. God is going to keep his promise. He's going to do it with or without Americans. He'll do it with or without you. But he's inviting you and me into a story. And what blows me away as a Christian, what blows me away is that God would not only author a story like this, but that in 2015, he would leave a blank page right about here. It is sobering in a good way. It is incredibly sobering to realize we get to be alive in the middle of that story. We get the privilege and the timeline of eternity. And many of you have, you, you know, your whole life in front of you, you get to be alive. You get to decide what your generation writes for that page, in that paragraph, in that story. And I don't know about you, but I said, man, I don't want to live for this really small story titled me. This morning, the invitation is simple. It's just to say, God, I'm, I want to hand over the pen. I want to hand over the pen for the story of me. I'll play any part that you'll give me in this epic, epic story. He wants, you to, invite, he wants to invite you into doing that. He has blessed us, right? But not just for us. He has blessed us. And this morning, would you ask God, how am I connecting the dots between what you've blessed me with and how we've used it to bless the world. And your church is doing many great things when it comes to that. But some of you, God is putting it on your heart to not just be a spectator, but to roll up your sleeves and say, I need to play a part personally.
Can I make that our prayer? Let's pray. God, I thank you for Temple Bible and what you're doing through this church and around the world. And, and God, I know that this morning there's some of us here who've we've cheered maybe from the sidelines. We've celebrated the wins. Uh, we've given maybe and tithed financially. But God, we've never seen this story in such a personal way that you're inviting us to play a part, us individually. And God, what an incredible privilege it is to be alive on planet earth in the middle of such a moment. And we don't want to miss it, God. This isn't about you missing out or even the world missing out, God. This morning is about we don't want to miss out on joining with you in bringing your kingdom into all the world. And so, God, I pray that we would jump into those opportunities. We would step boldly into some of those opportunities. And God, I thank you that you're going to keep your promise, that one day your kingdom and your worship will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. May that be the North Star that drives our life. And we pray it in your son's name. Amen.